Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Election College, Episode 181, The Province of Massachusetts Bay and the 1689 Boston Revolt. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we're going to take a step kind of out of our normal progression of things. We're still doing history. We're still doing politics. We're still the same old lovable characters you've always known from Election College. But we're going to take a little time uh, to do some of the backstory on... Massachusetts and Boston during the uh, mid to late 1600s and then even into the early 1700s because we're reading through a book called The Fever of 1721 and it really got us thinking, well, it's already a history book, but we like history, so let's get some history on this history. (laughs) Right. And something that just impressed me about this book, we use the word impressed a lot. This is not naval impressment. This is like intellectual impressment, um, which is an awesome thing to be impressed by by <laughs> the book, The Fever of 1721 uh, by Stephen Koss, uh, which is published by our friends over at Simon & Schuster. You know, uprising against the old country, that was not anything new. And that's something that just blew me away because it was over a hundred years in the making, this revolution of ours. Yeah, change takes time, and um, most of the time when you see a giant eruption such as we did with the American Revolution in the late 1700s, there's a lot of backstory and a lot of pain and hurt and stuff like that that happens for years and years in advance. So we're going to start back at the uh, Massachusetts Bay being settled back in about 1620 when Plymouth Colony was uh, settled and founded. And there were other types of you know attempts at colonizing areas. But really, the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1628 is the first time where we really see a success. And then the Puritans come over in 1630. And then a bunch of other Puritans come over uh, throughout the next decade or so from Europe and they're headed to the uh, New England area. And really, by the time the 1680s roll around, so about 50-ish years later, we've got a lot of different colonies. We've got the Massachusetts Bay Colony. We've got Plymouth. We've got Connecticut. We've got Rhode Island. We've got New Hampshire. And Massachusetts Bay, well, I guess you could say that was the place to be. It was the most popular, the most um, economically sound. Really, if you were anybody, you were in Massachusetts Bay. Right. Now, one thing you need to know about the people who came to 
Massachusetts were that they were Puritans. And a lot of times you can just lump, if you're looking at religion from a historical standpoint, you can kind of lump Protestants into one group and Catholics into another. But what you need to understand is there's a huge difference of ideologies going on between the Puritans and the Church of England. The Church of England is the established church of England. They are the church, if you are, dare I say, English. (laughs) And the Puritans sought to purify what they saw was the wrongs of the Church of England. So these are not necessarily separatists who were just like, you guys are all a mess. We're going to go and do our own thing. The descendants of the separatists would be more like your Baptists and so on. Uh, Whereas the Puritans were, they were trying to bring about, dare we say, reformation or a cleansing of the state church. So keep that in mind. It becomes very apparent that this is a big deal later on. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the the Puritans and the separatists and the populists and the Catholics become as uh, embittered or battling as, you know, Republicans and Democrats to, to make it more modern day. And it, it almost becomes as political as it is religious. So, yeah, it's definitely important to keep everybody separate in uh, your mind. Yeah. All of these English people are coming to Massachusetts and there are Native Americans in Massachusetts. And guess what? The Europeans are bringing all kinds of disease and it kills off large percentages of the Native American populations. In the 1630s, the Pequot tribe was basically destroyed. And then King Philip's war in the 1670s resulted in the killing of basically the rest of the Native Americans in the southern part of New England. And we know how the pilgrims came to the New World, and lots of them died. But it also affected the Native Americans so much more, so much worse that they were pretty much eradicated from New England. When everybody comes over at first, and I, I don't want you, we don't want you to think that the the political scene was really as tense as it was later on at first. When everybody came over at first, basically Massachusetts and Plymouth and the new settlements are uh, almost independent from England politically. And this hap- This goes along for a while, for about 40 years, until Charles II is brought back to the throne. And Charles kind of goes on a power trip. He really wants to have a lot of oversight over the colonies. And, hey, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Well, it depends on, on your position on politics. But it wants to have economic control over everything they're doing. And, of course, uh, like a good capitalist, wants to reap the benefits. So uh, he passes some different acts and everything. And the Navigation Acts, which we've talked about a little bit in the past, and we should definitely talk about more in the future, were passed in the 1660s. And the folks over in Massachusetts, they don't like them. And the merchants, they definitely don't like them. And the government's like, well, and by government, I mean the colonial governments are like, you know what? They're not great. They're not great or anything, but um, we're just going to pretend like they don't exist. Like we're not going to enforce these. And not only that, but Anybody you send over to make sure that we go through with everything and do it, we're just going to ignore them and and basically get in their way too. So, sorry about your luck, uh, King Charles. 
no big deal, but sorry. And so the Puritans at the time, who are the basically the rulers of Massachusetts, of, of the province, of the, the colony, whatever it is, <laughs> were uh, really, what's the word? They weren't fans of the Church of England, and they certainly weren't fans of the Baptists. And you know what? If you're a Quaker and they told you to leave and you didn't, they were probably going to execute you. So a lot of these types of things roll around in the next 20 years or so. And England's like, you know what, Massachusetts, you had your chance. And now we're going to take away your charter. There is some disagreement going on in England between a Protestant king and then a Catholic king. And you're always going to have, shall we say, turnover or attrition, (laughs) whether it's by choice or not, (laughs) uh, when there's a new king in place. So in 1686, Charles II's successor, James II, decides he's going to do things a wee bit different. He forms the Dominion of New England. So the Dominion of New England essentially takes all of the borders that the colonists had grown to know and love and appreciate and removes those and forms a single political unit. He puts Sir Edmund Andros in charge, and the colonists do not like that. The people in Massachusetts absolutely hate that decision, and the reason being was he enforced these navigation acts. He vacated land titles, and he appropriated a Puritan meeting house as a site to host services for the Church of England, and he restricted town meetings and did all kinds of other things to show that England is in charge and you are not. So James is deposed a few years later in 1688 during the Glorious Revolution, and the Massachusetts political leaders decide this is our perfect opportunity to arrest Andros and any other English authorities that were allies of him. So the dominion collapses and the colonies say, hey, let's put our borders back and let's go back to the way we once were. Interesting how English history can tie in. I wish we could talk about the Glorious Revolution, but we're not going to. And just a heads up, Jason mentioned that Andros was against and restricted town meetings. Town meetings aren't like what we think of now. Like I always think of town meetings like in Parks and, Parks and Rec, whenever <laughs> uh, whenever they have the town meetings and you know, all the freaks come out and everything. That's kind of what things were like, but not exactly. Town meetings at this time were the form of the local government. They were um, really a, a way for people to get together and have governmental bodies that, you know, of course, school districts and, and stuff like that were also a part of them and, and laws could vary from place to place, but uh, they were actually like a, a cooperational organizational entity that was really a legislative body. So for him to restrict that is basically saying your political views and the things that you've been able to do in the past and the, the power you've been able to hold over anyone else, you no longer have those abilities. So, Ben, you want to talk about the 1689 Boston Revolt a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And you kind of touched on it there, but I think we can definitely get deeper into it. Uh, This Andrus guy, he's got a bad thing coming. Right. The 1689 Boston Revolt was 
well, it was an organized mob. <laughs> the provincial militia and citizens got together in Boston, and they began arresting the Dominion of New England officials. And members of the Church of England were also taken into custody by these Bostonians. And no one died as a result of this revolt, but what ends up happening is people from the Massachusetts Bay Colony, which had been the form of government before the Dominion of New England, they come back, they're in control of the government now, and in other colonies, they did the same thing. So Massachusetts really led the charge here. Now, Andros, he was the governor of New England, right? In 1686, they hated him because of the Navigation (laughs) Acts. And he took away all of these rights, like Ben was talking about with the town meetings and so on. So we'll get into talking about it, how some of the religious leaders really were influential. And this is a good tie-in to where this book, if you are reading it, please let us know because we would love to read it along with you, The Fever of 1721. And you can get that book by going to electioncollege.com slash Boston 1721. So yeah, like Jason said, the religious leaders of Massachusetts uh, were pretty much opposed to Andros. And by pretty much, I mean, they were organizing rallies against him. And not just rallies, but uh, really trying to influence the court in London. Like the, the folks in London who are making all these decisions, King James, we don't like Andros. And so King James is like, you know what? We're going to publish this Declaration of Indulgence. And uh, a guy by the name of Increase Mather sends the king a an appreciation letter and says you know what all you other uh, massachusetts pastors you should also send a, a letter just to you know express your gratitude toward him that way maybe in the future he'll listen to us whenever we decide to talk and so there's 10 pastors who agree to do so and uh, they say you know what increase mather you have a weird name first of all and then second of all we think you would be a good candidate to go over to England for us and to talk about how much we hate Andros. And Edward Randolph is the secretary of the Dominion. And he's like, hey, really just don't go. Please don't go. Matter of fact, not only please don't go, I'm going to bring criminal charges against you to make sure you don't go. And Mather's like, okay, okay, fine. And then one night he just disappears. And goes, gets on a ship and heads for England in April of 1688. So they get over to King James, and there's some other people there with him. And he's like, listen, I promise uh, we'll address all this. We'll make sure that, you know, things get taken care of. But this whole revolution that's happening, this revolution of uh, uh, in England makes everything kind of slow down. So these guys from Massachusetts, they go over, they're in England, and they petition King James II. And they ask him to restore the Massachusetts Charter. And Mather convinces the Lords of Trade to delay notifying Andros of the revolution that's happening. But he had already dispatched to the previous governor, Simon Bradstreet, a letter containing the news of a report that the annulment of the Massachusetts Charter had been illegal 
and that the magistrate should prepare the minds of the people for a change. Now, rumors of the revolution had reached some people in Boston before the official news arrived. I guess they might have had high-speed internet or something, right? <laughs> but um, John Nelson... That trans-Pacific Boston... line, you know. Yeah. Did they lay that cable? Yeah, they probably did. Yeah. yeah. Not, even the right route. Not even the right ocean, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so John Nelson, he's a Boston merchant. He writes of the events, and this letter that he wrote prompted a meeting of senior anti-Andros political and religious leaders. So Andros is like, oh, they're going to revolt against me. That's not cool. And he does all he can to protect the area near Bristol, Maine, to be protected against the French and Native Americans. So as news travels fast, like we were talking about with some people finding out ahead of the news actually getting there, Andros gets the warning about this revolt while he's actually going up to to fortify this area near Bristol, Maine. And he's really trying to protect the area against the, the French and the Native Americans and um, you know, they're, they're attacking, so you got to protect your territory, but he gets this letter from King James and, um, realizes that there's going to be a revolt against him and really, uh, in that sense against the government entirely. And so on April 18th, there's a bunch of militia companies that get together and they're hanging out outside Boston, uh, just in, across the Charles river and, uh, hanging out at Roxbury and the, some of the companies get on boats. They cross the river. Some of the companies march down into the city. And some of the people from the ancient and honorable artillery company, which, by the way, their headquarters is in the top floor of Faneuil Hall. So if you ever go to Boston and right in the middle of town, basically, where all the historic stuff is. If you go in the Fanel Hall, you'll see, uh, if you go to the top floor, the artillery company headquarters, and that's basically a militia. And they also, when I was there, had a, a Swiss Guard exhibit, which was awesome. Um, they had some roped-off areas I couldn't go, which was kind of, you know, kind of stunk. But anyway, long story short, uh, <laughs> the, these conspirators from this artillery company also uh, go in, they break in, they uh, take out some of the the equipment from the drummers that are in the city, and there's a mob. And the militia companies all meet up, and they begin arresting all the leaders of the city and the, the colony and everything. And they surround Fort Mary, and Andros is in there, and he's surrounded. And they start arresting people, and... There's this guy named Captain John George. He's the uh, captain of the HMS Rose. And they're like, hey, you're arrested. <laughs> and uh, we're rebels. I'm sure they didn't say we're rebels, but we're rebels and you're arrested. And George is like, okay, well, fine. Show me an arrest warrant showing me that I should be arrested. And they were like, here's our arrest warrant. It looks like a sword and you're in our custody now. So uh, they just start taking over, taking everybody out. And after a long battle, uh, a bunch of the troops on Castle Island see this, and they surrender. So Governor Andros is encouraged to surrender for his own safety. And he's like, no, I'm not going to surrender, you nuts. Then he decides, I'm going to hop on the Rose. So a boat comes from the Rose to get Andros. The militia intercepts it, and 
Andros is forced back into Fort Mary there on the island. So they have some negotiations that go on because Andros is like, I'm toast. And with an agreement between the militia and his people, they decide, okay, we're not going to tar and feather him. We're not going to execute him. Everybody's going to be nice. He was marched down to the townhouse where the council had assembled. And then he was told that they must and would have the government in their own hands. And then they arrested him. So he's taken to the home of a Dominion official named John Usher, and he was held. So the Rose and Fort William on Castle Island, they refused to surrender. But a day or two later, when the ship's crew on the Rose was told that the captain had planned to take the ship to France to join the exiled king, a struggle ensues. And the Protestants, because James, you know, the Catholic king, he's exiled in France. And that's where the ship is going to go. Well, you've got Protestants aboard the ship. And they're like, nope, we're taking down the ship's rigging. And the troops on Castle Island, they see all of this happening. And they're like, oops. So they surrender. And Andros is moved to Fort Mary, where he was confined with Joseph Dudley and some other Dominion officials for, well, about a half a month. And then he was transferred to Castle Island. And they they even said, Ben, get this, that he tried to escape. And he was doing that while wearing women's clothing. But that account has been disputed. Catholics, Protestants, cross-dressing. Sometimes that kind of thing happens. So Andrus does make an escape from Castle Island in August. And that was all because his servant bribed the sentries with liquor, which always works. And he flees to Rhode Island, but then he was captured and was held in solitary confinement. He was held there, get this, for 10 months before being sent to England for trial. Massachusetts agents in London were like, nope, we're not going to sign these charges against Andros. So uh, he gets to England and he's acquitted and he comes back later on to play a cameo role in the colonies uh, serving as governor of Virginia and Maryland. Can you imagine? Hey, there's that guy who used to be in charge. Now he's in charge of us. And I don't think he was very popular. Yeah, I would imagine not. And I wonder how many people actually knew who he was because it had been so long and so far away. But I'm sure there were people who knew and word gets around fast. So anyway, when the uh, the, the Dominion now is, well, you can imagine it's going to be dissolved. When the other New England colonies find out that Andros gets kicked out, the authorities from the, the pre-Dominion colony come back in and they say, okay, we're going to restore our former governments. We're going to put things back in place. And so Rhode Island and Connecticut immediately resume governments, governance under their earliest charters. And Massachusetts says, um, we're going to you know, get together a committee and do things the Massachusetts way and uh, do everything. But eventually they were like, nah, forget that. We're not doing the committee thing. Uh, the, the rebels are, are too hardcore. So we'll just put this other government in place. So that kind of takes us to this point where I say in the next episode, we're going to talk about 
a lot more about Massachusetts, uh, which, again, leads into the book The Fever of 1721 by Stephen Koss, which we're going to be continuing to read and read along with you, hopefully. Uh, we're going to talk about the provincial charter. We're going to talk about the Salem witch trials a little bit. We're going to talk about the colonial era that's going to be coming up here all the way up through the revolution. So uh, that's going to be the next episode. Again, this is all a huge primer for the Revolutionary War, right? Because uh, all these things that are happening here in the 1600s through the early 1700s, including the events that we'll discuss this episode and next episode, are really just a big, like, it's the it's the simmer before the boil and, and everything happens. So uh, it's coming, and it's, it's going to come on strong. But uh, we'll definitely want to see you next episode. In the meantime... Go ahead and get caught up. Uh, go ahead and get started reading The Fever of 1721. We're not getting paid. We got the, we got books for free, but we're not getting paid to say this to you. We legitimately think it's a really interesting topic, a really interesting book, a well-written. Go over to electioncollege.com slash Boston 1721, and uh, that'll just take you over to Amazon. You can pick it up on Amazon. You're not going to pay any more or less than you normally would for it. We'll just get a little cut of it, and uh, that'll be a little nice little you know birthday present or something to one of us. Yeah, so thanks for listening, and we look forward to interacting with you on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Election College. And, of course, we'd love it if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It helps us get this podcast in front of more amazing people just like you. You can do that by visiting electioncollege.com slash iTunes. We would also love it if you would tell us how much you love us in a couple different ways. The first one is on Patreon. This could cost you as little as 11 cents per episode by uh, being a patron at $1 per month on Patreon. It's a way that you can support creators that you like, and we hope you like us if you're listening to us today. And uh, you could go over there and check that out. You could also go and leave us a review on iTunes. That's totally free to do, and it really makes us happy. It boosts us up in the ratings, and uh, other people look at the, the ratings and say, huh, Nice. We'll check them out. You can do that at electioncollege.com slash review. All right. We'll see you next time.